0: Well, uh, as always, um, it's great to be with you and and to have the opportunity to worship together. Um, And uh, I just want to say that I hope that our our 21 days of prayer uh, has continued to be an encouragement to you in this season. Uh, We're officially 14 uh, 14 days into this, uh, which means that we are one week away uh, from the finish line. And so... Uh, I just want to encourage you to keep going, uh, to keep persevering, and to keep seeking after uh, the Lord. I said this last week, but I'll remind you again, um, even if you missed a day uh, or you haven't even started yet, you still haven't uh, you know, just just uh, found the opportunity to, to seek the Lord in prayer, uh, maybe, uh, maybe today's the day that you begin to to pray and and to seek God that way. Uh, Maybe today is your first Sunday uh, checking out our gathering. I just want to encourage you uh, to join us in these last seven days. Go to our website, click on 21 Days of Prayer. Uh, There's a tab there at the top and join us um, again for this last week uh, together. And then I also uh, just want to encourage you to join us tomorrow night for a short time of corporate uh, prayer together. We've been doing that on Zoom for the last two Mondays. Um, It's just been such a blessing to just see people uh, praying, even for a short time. And so I hope you'll choose to take the time uh, to join us tomorrow night from 7.30 to 8 p.m. Um, I'm sure it'll be a blessing to you. All right, well, over the last two Sundays together, uh, we've been talking about prayer And more specifically, we've been discussing how to become people of prayer. And to help accomplish that, we've been looking at this man named Daniel, who was one of God's prophets uh, in the Old Testament. And there's a lot that could be said about Daniel. Uh, We could talk about his consistency, Uh, we could discuss his his faithfulness, his courage, uh, his resolve. But one thing that stands out, perhaps most of all, to me, uh, is Daniel's devotion to prayer. Daniel, undoubtedly, uh, was a man of prayer. And in Daniel chapter 9, we actually have the privilege of looking into one of his prayers. And this prayer such a blessing, but this prayer has become now a model for us on how we should pray. It's a model for us on how to become people of prayer. And why does this even matter? Why does it matter if we pray? Well, um, it matters for a lot of different reasons, but I think most most importantly, it matters because if you want to flourish in this life, if you want to experience the fullness of God in your life, if you want to see God move in and through you, if you want to live a transformed life, to see your life truly changed, you need to be a person of prayer. That's why this matters. Because what we've said through this series and and seen through the scriptures is that prayer always changes you. Prayer changes you It might not always change uh, the mind and the will of God, but it will always, certainly, always change you. And so we have to be people of prayer. And that means that we have to know how to pray. uh, We have to know uh, what to pray. And ultimately, we have to know who we are praying to and what we are praying for. What's the purpose of our prayer? And so that's why we're in this series together. And that's why we have entered into this season, intentional season, 21 days of praying and fasting together as a community. Well, as you look into Daniel 9 and at this remarkable prayer, what you find uh, is several elements of prayer that I believe help us to know how to become people of prayer. And over the last two weeks, Um, I've pointed out six of those elements to you. And so let me recap those for you really briefly, because today's sort of part three here, just an extension of the last two weeks. I'll do this quickly. First of all, uh, what we discussed through Daniel's prayer here in chapter nine is that prayer is a response to the scriptures. That, That prayer is generated by the word of God. If you look at verse 2 of chapter 9, it tells us that while Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah, he was moved to pray. And what this tells us is that our prayer life actually flows from the study of God's word, that as we hear God tell us his plans— uh, as, we, as we read about his promises, as we study things like his character, which we're going to do more today, when we do those things, we respond. Uh, we actually respond naturally in prayer. So that's where prayer begins. We get into the word, we get into the scriptures to find out what God is going to do and what he has said, and then we pray accordingly. Accordingly second uh we we found and said that that prayer is rooted in the will of God All right so it's so it's generated out of the word of God and then it's grounded in the will of God and and what that means is that we we seek to not only know God's plan through the scriptures but then we actually long desire to see his plan fulfilled and so prayer is not so much, again, about trying to change God's mind, but rather to identify and to align our hearts to what he is already trying to do in our world and in our lives. Thirdly, we we learn that prayer should be purposeful and passionate. Purposeful and passionate. That it's characterized, or our prayer, true prayer, should be characterized by fervency. If you look at verse 3, what you see there, it says that Daniel looked to God. He he turned to the Lord, and then with fasting, dressed in sackcloth and, and sitting in ashes, he began to pray intensely. It was intense. He was praying with purpose, praying here with passion. And so likewise, our prayers should be earnest, and they should be defined by perseverance. We need to have passionate prayer lives if we want to be true people of prayer. And then last week, uh, we, we started with number four, and we said that true prayer or, or genuine prayer is realized in humility. That is realized in humility. That's where uh, that, that effective prayer, you could say, is, is realized in humility. God answers those types of prayers, humble prayers, And we see this humble position of the heart in verse 4, where Daniel says that, it says this, that I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. And so Daniel doesn't come and say, all right, like, God, I have the right to demand this of you. Here I am before you, right, this righteous man, and you must do this. Not at all, right? He comes to the Lord, he comes before the Lord, and his posture is this, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And in effect, he says, I don't have the right to demand anything of you. And so prayer is at the very beginning, a recognition of our own unworthiness and a sense of self-denial. It's the realization that you and I don't actually deserve to pray. That you and I don't deserve to be in the presence of God, but we get to. (laughs) We get to. Well, then fifth, if you want to have an effective prayer life, you need to pray both individually and collective. We saw that last week. Bottom line of that point was simple. It's that prayer is not selfish. It shouldn't be selfish. That prayer is not just about me, right? And to see that, we look through verses 5 through 14, just read sort of through it quickly, and we saw what? Over and over and over again, Daniel says these words like, we and are and us and all Israel, right? His prayer time and time again encompasses the entire community, all of Israel. And of course, all effective prayer is that way. We see this pattern all throughout the scriptures. Prayer is so much bigger, so much greater than any individual. And so you and I, because of that, you and I need to be looking at the needs of others and looking towards the fellowship of believers. Our prayer should be marked by we much more than me. And then finally, and this is where we stopped last week, we said that prayer is strengthened, strengthened or powered by our confession. That if you want to become a person of prayer, that if you want to actually see your prayers work, you need to be a person of confession. Look at what Daniel says in verse 3 and verse 20. It says this, verse 3, then I turn my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And then verse 20 says this while I was speaking and praying, here it is again, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. And so throughout this whole prayer, sort of bookended actually, from beginning to end. The whole prayer, there's this great sense of confession. There's this sense that I am guilty. I'm a sinner before a holy God, and I'm acknowledging that reality. That's what we see Daniel do throughout this prayer. He confesses his sins and the sins of his people, Israel. And again this is an essential part of prayer it's essential entering into the presence of God with a sense of God's absolute holiness and then along with that acknowledging our own shortcomings right even though even though we are already forgiven before God through the work of Jesus Christ we confess We are people of confession. We confess that we are not fit to be in the presence of God other than by the righteousness of Jesus our Lord. So that's where we've been over the last two weeks uh, to help us to become people of prayer. And today we're going to wrap this up or wrap up Daniel 9 by looking at two other key truths about prayer that are essential to having an effective prayer life. Just two more today. So if you're not already turned there, uh, I hope you're already there, but if you're not, go to Daniel 9 with me. Daniel chapter 9. Let's read and study through this passage once more together uh, this morning. Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to start once again uh, in verse 4. Verse 4. This is what God's Word says. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, and look at this here, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We touched on this just for a minute. Maybe it was even 30 seconds last week, but we're going to discuss it more fully now. What, what we see here is that effective prayer, if you want your prayers answered, if you want to see God move in and through your prayer life, your prayer needs to be dependent on God's character. We see that here in Daniel's prayer. and that's, So that's our seventh point of this three-part sermon. True prayer, number seven, is dependent on God's character. Again, you can see there on the screen, there's seven points. So point one today is point seven in the series. Um, True prayer is dependent on God's character. That's what we see here. And and we really need to reflect on this. This is so important. You, You and I pray to align our hearts with the word and God's will. Right? We we pray our prayer of of forgiveness, our prayer of confession. We call on God on the behalf of of the church and for others, right? We intercede for needs of those who are around us because we actually believe that God hears us and responds. And now here we see God's character being developed or acknowledged here in verse 4. And notice, first of all, Daniel says that God is great. That's what he says. God is great. Now that word uh, there, that word great, it actually means powerful. It means powerful. In other words, I pray to God or we pray to God because God is powerful enough to respond That's what Daniel is essentially saying here, that God can, this is an acknowledgement, that God can change the circumstances of my life. He has all of the resources necessary, right, infinitely at his disposal. He has everything, right? He's great. He's great. He is the God in verse 15. Look down to verse 15. It says, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with what? With a mighty hand. There it is again. Powerful, strong hand. So Daniel's saying that you, God, you're the God who who parted the Red Sea. You're the God who who brought the plagues upon the Egyptians You're the God who ultimately defeated Egypt and delivered your people Israel. And that's why I pray. That's why Daniel prays, because God is powerful, all-powerful. Second, you see there in verse four, Daniel says that God is awesome. He says, God is awesome. And that word there is rooted in the word uh, majesty. It's worth noting there. That word awesome there, it's rooted in the word majesty. And so Daniel is saying here, not only is God powerful, but he's also majestic. God is also majestic. It means that he is to be honored, to be glorified, to, to and to be exalted. It, it means that our Lord is to be to be lifted up, that he is to be praised above anything. Why? Because he is worthy. That's what Daniel's saying. He is worthy. God, you are worthy. We see here, Daniel keeps going back to verse 4 again. He says, God keeps the covenant. God keeps the covenant. And so, not only do we see his his power, not only do we see his majesty, but here, what we see is an acknowledgement of God's Faithfulness. We see God's faithfulness here. That when God makes a promise, we can be assured. It's a guarantee that he will keep it. And, and what is a covenant? Or What is this covenant here? What's Daniel actually talking about here? Well, uh, we could do a, a year-long study on the covenant. Right? since it's actually uh, one of the main threads of, of the Bible. If, if you want to know like what's the entire Bible about, a key word would be it's about covenant. Right? Um, we could do a whole study, but to try to put it really, really simply, and this is very simple, um, it's much more complex, but covenant, the covenant that Daniel is referring to here, is the reality, just the simple, profound reality, the truth that god desires a relationship with you and i that god pursues relationship with us but not only that but god makes it possible to have a relationship with us and here's what's amazing about god's covenant with his people is that he is faithful to keep that relationship. He is faithful to keep his promise to that relationship. And there's more to add to that. It says here in the text, if you look, keep going, it says that he has, what, steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. In other words, it's an acknowledgement here that God will be faithful to our relationship, right? That's the certainty, with that covenant that he has established, he'll be faithful. Why? The answer's right there. Because he loves us. Because he loves us. It's that simple. And this is the incredible truth, or or, or this is, I should say, an, an incredible truth that's it's hard to really wrap our minds around, no matter how many times we're reminded of it, how many times we study it and go back to it, that the creator of the universe, this God that we're, we're talking about here, praying to, that this one who's all-powerful, right, awesome, mighty, majestic, also at the same time unconditionally loves his people. It's truly amazing. He's faithful. He's faithful. And Daniel keeps going. Um, he keeps going. Right, we could pray all day long about who God is, right? But well, we have just a few simple truths about God here. Look what he says next. Verse 7. Verse 7. He says, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. He says, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. In other words, here's an acknowledgement that God is holy. He is holy. Daniel says, you are holy. It means, that, it means that we can be certain that God will do what is right and never what is wrong. Right? And isn't it incredible to know that? I mean, just think about that. Think about that. That God can never do a wrong thing. He can never do a wrong thing. And if he did, if he ever did a wrong thing, Then he would actually cease to be God. Listen, listen. God is always right, no matter what he does, no matter what. And whatever he does is not only right, but it is good. It is good. He never makes a mistake, never makes a mistake. To him belongs righteousness, he's holy perfect. Our God is powerful, Daniel says. He's majestic. He's faithful, loving, absolutely holy, and it just keeps getting better. He continues, we learn that he is also merciful and forgiving, (laughs) both merciful and forgiving. Look at verse 9. It says this, to the Lord our God belong mercy and and forgiveness. Short, but powerful. It's actually hard to see this in English, uh, but actually both of those words there, mercy and forgiveness, both of those words there are actually plural. They're they're in the plural form. And so it would more literally uh, read this, uh, like this. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, if that's even a word, right? To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses. And I don't know about you, uh, but I know for me, uh, I've certainly needed both of these things, God's mercy and his forgiveness, uh, more than once in my life, right? I've needed it a lot more than once, but Daniel says here, the Lord gives these abundantly. He gives them abundantly. And follow me here. Follow me. Because he does that over and over and over again, because he gives mercy time and time again, because he gives forgiveness time and time again, then we can also say from this text, from all of us, that our God is also gracious. He's gracious, There's an acknowledgement of his graciousness here because he does it over and over again. He gives us, God gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. So we put this all together now. From Daniel chapter nine, from just this one prayer, just one prayer, we learn that God is powerful, majestic, faithful, loving, holy, merciful, Forgiving and gracious. And so understand when you pray, when you choose to pray, this is the kind of God that we seek, that we get to go before in our prayers. And here's what's even more amazing to me. When you think about all of God's characteristics here on display, all of these, all of them, are best revealed with Jesus' death on the cross. All of them. You see, when we look at the cross, when we look at the cross, we see King Jesus' power. Because on that cross, he conquers sin and death and Satan and hell, right? And I'd say that that's power, right? And as we look at the cross, we see, certainly, we see his majesty. For even though he appears hanging there, even though he appears to be a victim of the Roman Empire and, and the Jewish hierarchy, even though he appears to be a victim, even though he's just hel- he appears to be helpless and hopeless hanging there, we see the Roman soldiers there that day at the end watching Jesus die come to this conclusion, they proclaim actually watching him. Truly, they say, truly, this was the son of God. He's majestic. Even in his death, he was majestic and in total control. When we look to the cross, we also see God's faithfulness. His faithfulness. Jesus said that he would die for us. He said that he would go to the cross. He said time and time again that the Son of Man had to die. And even though in the Garden of Gethsemane, he agonized about that reality, agonized with the Father about that truth, in the end, he kept his promise. He kept his promise. He went to the cross. He died in our place because he is faithful. When we look at the cross, oh my goodness, do we see do we see his love? Because he shouldn't have even been there, right? He shouldn't have even been on the cross. I should have been there that day. You should have been there. But because he loved us so much, because he loves us so much, he took our place. When we look at the cross, we see God's holiness. His holiness. Because it's his holiness that put him on the cross that day. He couldn't just forgive sinners. God couldn't just forgive sinners. No. Right? We know that a perfect sacrifice had to be paid For the penalty of sin. And so Jesus, the perfect one, freely went, freely died, and God counted it, (laughs) counted it, because Jesus was holy. He is holy. And in his willingness to go and die, in that willingness to go and die, to take your place. To take my place, to give us, when he went to give us when what we don't deserve, and to free us from what we do deserve. All of this points to the mercy, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus and the cross. See, this, this is good news. This is gospel news. And so all that God was for Daniel. Understand. Don't miss this as you're reading Daniel and you're reading kind of this, this prayer that's like 2,500 years old. And this man, he, you know, you're looking at Daniel and you might say, well, that's Daniel, right? He's so, he's so righteous. I could never be like him. My relationship with God could never be like that. Understand all that God was for Daniel. God is to us; He is to us. But where Daniel knew God from the perspective of God's faithfulness and His character, His promises to Israel, you and I—we know it from the person of Jesus Christ and the cross. That's now our perspective. So, do you? Do you understand? Do you understand this? <laughs> Can you even begin to comprehend this? That, that we we actually have direct access to that Jesus. You have direct access today to this God, all powerful, majestic, always faithful, all loving, one hundred percent holy, totally forgiving. And infinitely gracious and merciful. That's the basis of our prayers. I'm so glad. I've been thinking about this just over even these 14 days, these two weeks. I'm so glad that I get to pray to a God like this. Aren't you? So glad. Who wouldn't pray? Think about this. Who wouldn't pray? Who wouldn't choose to pray? Who wouldn't talk to a God like this? What a privilege it is. And that leads us to our final point this morning and for our study of Daniel 9. We see here uh, that true prayer, effective prayer, prayers that work, Ultimately, they place God's glory at the center. That's number eight. True prayer. You want to be a person of prayer. You want to see your prayers work. You want to see your life changed through prayer. You need to place God's glory at the center of your prayer. Always. Look with me at verse 16. 16, and we're going to just go through this through verse 19. Verse 16, that's what it says. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins— And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. I'll stop there just for a minute. Daniel says this, God, God, he's praying, God, because of us, because of our sin." Your holy city, Jerusalem, a city on a hill, your city, Jerusalem, has had to receive your anger and your wrath because of us. And then he says, and now, but, but now, turn from that anger, God, not because of us, not because of us, but why? He says it right in the beginning, because of your righteousness, Because of your righteousness. In other words, don't do it for us. Don't turn your wrath away for our sake, but do it for you. Do it for you. And that tells us, that tells us there that Daniel is concerned with God's name and God's glory above all. We see that continue. Look at verse 17. It says, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. Listen, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. So again, for whose sake? Who's this for? Not for Israel's. Not for Daniel's. Before the Lord's sake. Keep going. Verse 18 says, Oh my God, incline, turn. He says, turn your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. Again. Again but because of your great mercy. So here again, Daniel says, we're not making claims here based upon our own righteousness. We're saying, do it. Act, God. Move, God. Listen to me. Listen to us. Answer our prayers. Why? That you might manifest and make known your great mercy. Put your mercy on display, God. Make your name famous. This city is called by your name, Jerusalem. It's your city. It's your city. And so your reputation is at stake. Your reputation's at stake. So do it. Move. Turn. Forgive. Heal. And then look at verse 19. O Lord, hear Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. Look at, again, notice the pattern here. So important in this this text. So important for us if we want to be people of prayer, people who pray effectively. He says, delay not for your own sake. There it is again. Oh, my God. Because your city and your people are called by your name. And so it's all over these four verses. For your own sake, for your name, Lord. Do it for you, not for us. See, we have to keep in mind, it's important for us to to always study the scriptures in its historical context. You have to do that. Otherwise, you're never going to understand the totality of the scriptures. We have to keep in mind here that the Babylonian captivity of Judah and the desolation of, of the Jerusalem sanctuary, the destruction of the temple, it was looked at, it was viewed uh, at, by the surrounding nations as a sign that Judah's God Yahweh was either powerless or he was a myth altogether, right? Basically, in their view, your God lost. Our gods won. We conquered you. Therefore, because we conquered you, we took you over, we destroyed your, your God's temple, our gods are better than Yahweh. That was the perspective of the world around, Right? And so now Daniel, knowing that, knowing that, understanding that, Daniel's saying, God, Lord, vindicate your name. Uphold your name. Don't let your name be smeared. Don't let your name be tarnished. Don't let people talk wrongly about you. Don't let, essentially, listen, don't let our sin corrupt your reputation what he's saying. Forgive us. Forgive us, God. Why? Why? For your name, for your glory, for your fame. Daniel's mindset, his perspective, when he prays here, when he prayed, I have to believe that this was all the time, it was totally, completely saturated Focused, fixated on God's name and on God's glory. Daniel was concerned, deeply concerned, with making God's name great. And so let me ask you today. Let me ask you today. It's a really simple question. Easy one. Do you pray like that? Is your prayer, are your prayers, is your prayer life, Marked by this. Do you pray that God will do certain things in your life, maybe in this church and in the lives of others, so that He might be glorified? Is that the purpose for why you pray? Is that the center of your prayer that His name is famous, that His name is glorified? The question I'm really asking here and getting to is who or what is at the center of your prayers? That's ultimately what we're asking today. Who or what is at the center of your prayers? It should unquestionably be God and His glory. And then the last thing that I want to say as we close. Notice, notice here that it's after all of this. It's after all of this. It's after Daniel reflects on God's word. I've seen him do that? Consider God's will. He, 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 he humbles himself, denies himself, thinks of others. It's after his confession of sin, dwelling on God's character, expressing a desire for God's glory, in His name, to be famous, to be vindicated. It's after all of that, all of that, that Daniel then, only then makes his personal requests be made to God. It's last. It's at the very end. The prayer ends with verse 19. It's really simple. We just read it, but listen again, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, this is the prayer. O Lord, pay attention and act. What Daniel is requesting here is simple. It's really simple. He says, do it, Lord. Do it. Deliver your people as you promised. Do what you promised. What you have revealed to me in your word, come through. Make it happen. Make a way. That's what Daniel prays. Here's what I want to say about Daniel finishing his prayer this way. The fact that Daniel ends his prayer with a request, he ends it that way, reveals to me that the ultimate ultimate purpose of our prayers is actually not on the personal asking. That prayer is not ultimately about obtaining things for ourselves, but that actually the significance of prayer, the the design of prayer, and I'll even say the beauty, the beauty of prayer is that it allows us, prayer allows us to be in the presence of God and to align our hearts with the purposes of God. And that's why we can rightly say That's why we can say and think this way that prayer is not an obligation. Prayer is not your religious duty. But prayer is a privilege to enjoy. It's a privilege to enjoy. It's an opportunity for you and I to fellowship. Listen, to fellowship, to be with the creator of the universe. To be with the one who is mighty, majestic, faithful, loving, holy, forgiving, gracious, and merciful. To be with the one who is worthy to be praised. The one who is worthy of all honor and all glory. Prayer is a privilege to enjoy. And I said this before, but I'll just say it again. Can you actually, this morning, can you actually comprehend this? Try. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Even for me, I've been, haven't been in ministry that long, I guess. This is probably my 10th year, 10th year, I think it is, of pastoring. Before that, though, um, six, seven years uh, of studying. So I've been doing this for like 16, 17 years, where like my job even is to learn about who God is, right? That's basically my job. Study the Bible, learn who he is. And even as I was dwelling on this last night, thinking about this, thinking about prayer, thinking about God, who God is, All I could think was, you have got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. That I can, right here, right now, be with God. Be with him through prayer. And you, right now, right now, sitting in your house. Maybe it's in a cafe. You, right now, you can get on your knees. You can make yourself... Low. And you can go into his presence and listen, listen, listen to me, listen to me. And you can know that when you do that, he, God, will gladly and willingly turn his ear toward you. He will listen and be with you. And not only that, it's his joy to do so, it's his great joy. He's longing for you to pray. He desires to be with you. And so let's choose to pray. Let's be people of prayer. Let's pray right now. Right now, let's pray. I'll ask the worship team to come forward, and we're just going to pray. Let's pray together.